What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Against All Odds podcast. Uh, if you guys are watching on YouTube, you're probably seeing that it's just me today. Or if you guys just read the title, <laughs> it's just me. Uh, long story short, we've had a pretty crazy couple weeks. We've had like five games in two weeks. And it's just been a lot for a lot of the teammates and a lot of the guys. So um, a lot of their schedules didn't really work out. And I, I basically was just kind of rescheduling for next week. But I really kind of thought that it would be cool to do a little Q&A because uh, I haven't done like a sit down Q&A filmed video in a very long time. And I really enjoy doing these videos. Uh, uh, but my only thing is with these Q&As that I really want to dive down deep into the videos. I, I hate Q&As or these questions where it's like very surface level, you know, like, hey, how can I be a pro? And then you just kind of be like, work hard, train hard, um, eat right and, and just keep, don't quit. Like, I hate that. I really want to dive down deep into these questions and really give you a true answer, something that if you're a professional soccer player, another one watching this video, that you can you can learn something or you can at least uh, respect another perspective on that that topic, at least. So uh, that's my goal. That's, I really want to, to provide a lot of value that you're not just going to watch this video and be like, oh, yeah, Messi or Ronaldo. Oh, Matt thinks that Messi's better or, you know, whatever. I really want to go into into deep topics, dive down into them, and hopefully give you guys a lot of value. So let's roll the intro and uh, let's get started. Okay, so I'm getting all of these questions from my Instagram account, become underscore elite. So if you guys are not following me, go follow me, check out my Instagram. I post a ton of content and uh, hopefully you guys Hope you guys like it. And then also be sure to follow my personal Instagram page, Matt Sheldon, just to stay updated with my uh, with my career, my life, and stuff like that. Um, now, before we answer the very first question, I do have to thank the sponsor of this episode of the podcast, Chaos Soccer Gear. If you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know Chaos Soccer Gear already. But basically, it's a young soccer brand that's really expanding, really growing right now. They have some sweatshirts, t-shirts, uh, some other products like that. They have a uh, soccer ball pump, and they have a very cool, my favorite product is their Aztec soccer ball that's uh it's a very high quality, like match grade ball, but it's got a very cool Aztec pattern all over it. So uh, I actually have one of those balls back in Portland. I train with that when I go back to Portland, especially in off season. So go check them out. Their link will be in the description if you guys are watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube and you're listening, head to chaossoccergear.com. That's chaos, C-H-A-O-S, soccergear.com. Okay, so Instagram Q&A. The very first question I want to dive into is from Asa Fletcher, and he asks, how do you stay consistent with your workouts if something pops up? Um, so right off the bat, I think that this question, uh, and I don't want to call out Asa or whatever, but I think this question is phrased in a way that your your mentality is is kind of off. Because if you're looking at your workouts that if something pops up, you no longer can do your workout, you're almost viewing it like your workout's not a priority. For me, even you know back in high school, even when... I was not a professional soccer player. My workouts and my my training was like the most important thing. I, you know, family was obviously number one, and you know, I like to say that school was number two, but um, it really was a tie. School and soccer were both number two, and so obviously, if anything came up with my family, you know, an emergency or something like that, then yes, I would skip a workout. I would skip soccer, um, but honestly. 
my main thing was when school ended or whatever, I would get in my workout, you know, from 3.45 to, was it, like 5 o'clock, I would get in my gym workout. I would go to training. Like, those were my priorities. And there was very, very little that could pop up, a random thing that would force me to miss that workout. Obviously, it happened. You know, sometimes, like, my mom would call me and be like, yo, you got a dentist appointment. You can't go work out. And maybe I would do a bodyweight workout at home or something. But... I really, really viewed it like I was a professional soccer player player already that like if I wanted to be a professional soccer player, I needed to treat this like it, I already was. And, it, you know, like it was like that that quote of dressing for the job you want and not the job you have. I treated it like these were important, something I couldn't miss. This was my job already. And I think because I treated it like that, I ended up becoming a professional soccer player. And I think all the people that really kind of treated it like it wasn't their job and they could miss these workouts or not be, take their training seriously, those were the people that kind of fizzled out because other stuff ended up popping up and taking priority over their life, over their workouts. And for me, I've always been the type of person that's like, no, my workouts are very, very important to me. It's my job. It's my career. Even before it was my job and my career. So I, honestly, there wasn't, really much that could pop up that would force me to miss a workout. I was very, very adamant about that, even at a very, very young age. And I think that mindset is what helped me like to get where I am today, honestly. Um, the next question is from Spencer and he asks, uh, was it difficult to balance out going out with friends and playing D1 soccer at UC Davis? Um, this is kind of funny. It kind of is the same kind of question as, as the last one. But honestly, like it really was, it really wasn't that hard. And a lot of people complain about it. They think it's so hard to balance school and soccer and friends. But I think if you go about it and you batch your time effectively, then it's not that big of a deal. But I see so many people letting their study time kind of evolve into friend time. Their friend time evolve into their workouts. I was always very, very. And I okay, I don't want to say I was perfect. But I was very good at batching my time. So if it was study time, it was study time. If it was hanging out with friend time, it was hanging out with friend time. If it was my workout time, it was my workout time and nothing else. For example, I would go to the library and I would see some teammates or some friends or some or classmates or whatever go to the library and spend eight hours in the library all day. But truly, they only spent two or three hours actually studying and the rest was kind of moving around, talking with their friends, you know, eating something, hanging out, listening, going, browsing Instagram on their phone. They really only had two or three hours on Instagram. And for whatever reason, the way my brain was wired, it didn't make any sense for me to be in the library and waste time not studying. Why would I want to hang out in the library and not just, and, and, and where I could just power it out? You know, I would go to the library and for three or four hours straight, I would just study headphone, big Bose headphones on head down study. You can DM and ask Mimi about this and she would like get mad at me because I was the worst person to study with because all I did was study. I didn't, I never talked. So I would study. And as soon as the four hours was done, I would stop, put up my headphones and then I would go train, you know, I'd go out with friends or I'd hang out and have fun because it was like, I don't want those times to be overlapped. If I'm hanging out with friends and having fun, I want to hang out with friends and have fun. If I'm going to study, I'm going to study. If I'm going to work out, I'm going to work out. So I batched my time very effectively. And I think that was key for me to be able to balance it all because I never like let things kind of overlap and, and let my time kind of like fall between the gaps. I was always very, 
No, if I'm going to study, I'm going to spend four hours in study and power this out. I'm going to get it done so then I can have the rest of the night to hang out with my friends or I can yeah, or I can get in that hour long workout and then after the workout I can have time to relax and, and chill you know so it really wasn't that hard to to balance it out for for me at all and I you know obviously I had days that was harder than other days but for the most part no I think it was a good balance um the next question is from Anna Lopez and she asks what is Mimi's favorite part of your career that's a good question. I think you'll probably have to ask Mimi about this one. Um, but if I were to guess, you know, besides I'd say the obvious answer is like that she's happy that she gets to watch me play and she's happy that she gets to see me go after something that I'm truly passionate about, that I truly love, that makes me happy every single day. But I think in terms of like what re- she really enjoys about my career choice of a professional soccer player is the, uh, is the fact that it's exciting. Like, you know, one year, I mean, you could be sitting at home and, and trying to figure out where you're going to play next year. And all of a sudden you could get a, a text message or an email and you could be playing or, or the possibility of playing in New Zealand could be just pop up like that. And that's what happened. So it's exciting. This career is very crazy. It's almost like your senior year of high school where you're deciding on where to play like decision day. It's like that every single year in off season. Um, so it's a very, very exciting time because every year, you know, I, I you can go from uh, Iceland to Vancouver, Canada, to Sacramento, to Germany, to Orange County, California, to St. Louis, Missouri, to New Zealand, back to Tulsa. And so it's like a very exciting time. And I think that is probably the, the best part about this career. And it's great to do it while you're young. But at the same time, I think that that's also probably the hardest part about this. So I think it's it, it combined, it's what we love about it but it's also what's hard about it because I mean, we've never had a 12 year lease on an apartment ever, like since college. And, uh, you're bouncing around constantly. So you have to make new friends, you know, everywhere you go. Uh, and Mimi has to do that as well. Every time I pick someplace new, she comes along with me and now goes there and has no friends, no contacts, no family. So it's, it's difficult. So I think the best part is that it's exciting but that exciting life and bouncing around comes with a lot of downsides as well. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, I think she enjoys it right now, but I think it's one of those kind of like lifestyles that we both don't want to have for the long term. I definitely want to settle down at one point and I want to have a 12 year lease on an apartment or even buy a house and be able to furnish it and not just kind of like move around. And, and like, even with this apartment, I have to be ready to be able or probably to move out for good out of Tulsa, maybe, by the end of the year they're not even by November. So that's in like seven months. I have to be completely ready to pack up everything and move. Um, if I don't resign here. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy life. Um, but it's fun. It's definitely exciting and fun. Um, for now, uh, the next question is from Biush seven and he says, delve into the dark side. Um, hashtag relentless. Uh, if you guys don't know what that means, it, it, it's basically like a little nod to my favorite book, of all time and that is relentless by tim grover and it is a an amazing amazing book and tim grover is the trainer of michael jordan kobe bryant Dwayne wade and countless others uh, other amazing basketball players and he writes this book kind of like revealing the training methods um all about the actual workouts to like the the mentality of these athletes and what makes them great what separates the top athletes from the great athletes from the good athletes and he calls them the 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 cleaners 
the closers and the coolers. And, uh, one thing that he says, all the top elite athletes have, or even, you know, the top businessmen or the top, whatever, uh, a cleaner in any field has is this dark side. And it's kind of, this is something that when I read it, it like hit me. Like I've never read something before and, and it like connects so deeply into me. Like I felt like I was reading something that was never expressed into words and I just always felt it. And I didn't know anybody else really felt like this. And then reading it, it kind of like opened up my eyes like, oh my God, there's other people that have the same thought process that I have, have the same deep down gut feeling that I have. And it's like this idea that every one of these great athletes or great businessmen or whoever has a dark side to them. So like, for example, great athletes, they're so used to winning and succeeding and putting in effort into their sport that they can't turn that off. They can't turn that constant need to push themselves and be a better athlete and to train and to work out and and just to constantly strive for success. They can't flip that switch off so that when they're done, you know, training or, or playing games or whatever, they have to basically divert that energy, that succeeding, that, that effort, that crazy drive somewhere else. And sometimes it can be bad like into gambling. A lot of athletes go straight into gambling. Can you be into drinking or drugs? You know, you can see tons of athlete scandals involving drinking, DUIs, drugs. Um, it can be into uh, infidelity, like cheating on your wife and, and, and just trying to get with as many girls or whatever as possible. Or it can be into more of a positive outlook, like into your finances and to be obsessing over your finances and to building your wealth. Or it can be obsessing over your body and your diet plan and, and, and the gym routine so that you're, you know, you go into your workouts, you go into your business. And then afterwards you go in and completely obsess over trying to push yourself and test your limits of your body. Or it can be, um, like for a social media out, like for me, a business, um, become elite, you know, I strive and I, I put in all my effort to testing my boundaries, seeing how far I can push myself as a soccer player, as a footballer, and then after I'm done training and working out and doing all that, I can't just relax. I feel like I need to, 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 to conquer something else, to like win and succeed and to try to like put my effort somewhere else. I can't sit still. And so I do, and I, I, I divert that attention into like my business of Become Elite, my YouTube channel, because it's just another area that I can focus on to try to win, to try to succeed, to try to keep on testing my limits, keep on, keep on pushing myself. Um, because like, like I said, relaxing just isn't like that relaxing. Even if I'm relaxing at the beach of Hawaii, I still need to be filming a vlog and I still need to be working and posting Instagram. I still need to be building something. I still needed to just try to win and to, and to feel that rush of success with something else. Like for me, like uh, achieving a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers or achieving, you know, whatever, whatever, a million views on TikTok or a million views on Instagram. It's literally just to crave that need of constantly feeling or constantly want to feel a rush of success. And then once you get it, it quickly goes away and then you just want to conquer it again and feel that again. And, uh, and that's really what the dark side is. And like the, what Tim Grover wrote about in this book, um, And that really just kind of like hit me. Like when I read that, I was like, that like really, really explains like my life, I feel like. Um, So yeah, it was crazy. And if you guys have not read that book, if you're listening to me talk about it right now and you 
think that this is something that's also uh, plays a part in your life, I'd really suggest reading Relentless by Tim Grover. It's an amazing, amazing book. It, my favorite book I've ever read. Um, and yeah, like I, I'm a, a big believer in that. And I think for me, you know, uh, it's hard, it's hard to like toot your own horn, but I really think that when it comes to my dark side, majority of it is all good. I'd say m- all of it's all good. Like I don't have anything that I divert my attention to a negative aspect, you know, like cheating on, on Mimi or, um, gambling or, um, I don't even know drinking. I don't, I, I really don't have that. It's for me. It's, I feel like it's all very positive outlets, but there's still a dark side, you know, like I still like social media and, and obsessing over my body and, and, you know, my body fat percentage and going to the gym. And even before when I was trying to get as strong as possible, it was all just a way just to test myself and try to push my boundaries and to see how far I could take everything. So yeah, I could talk about that a long time. It's, it's pretty crazy though. I'd highly, highly suggest reading that book. If, if you guys are interested in that kind of speech, um, Next question is from Alex Wojdat, and he asks, how can you improve uh, speed of play? And honestly, it's like, uh, there's like three things. I always say there's three things when it comes to speed of play. And I have a full two-minute Tuesday about this that um, you guys should search in, on YouTube. Just search how to improve speed of play. I think it's like the very first video that pops up, but go watch that video. But pretty much, I say that to improve speed of play, there's three things that you need to improve your technical ability, which is like your first touch and control of the ball. You need to be consciously thinking about the next step, the next thing that you're going to do. And then three, you need to um, just have experience to, to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and try to play out of that. And you will improve just from putting yourself in situations where you need to have a faster speed of play. So for example, one, if you improve your technical Uh, your technical skill, your control of the ball, your first touch, if you improve that and every single time a ball's fizzed into you fast and hard, that you can trap it down and kill it right at your foot or push it right into the space where you want it to go exactly, you know, 99 out of 100 times, you're going to be able to focus less on that aspect, tap the ball and immediately look up and see what you have, see what the options you have. But if you are, you know, the ball comes into you and it takes you two or three touches to really control it, that's a full second or two seconds that your head is straight down and that a defender can be running into you and pressuring you. So the very first thing to improve your speed of play and to play faster is to get that first touch and to get that control of the ball, your technical skills up and improve those, those areas so that you can really have more time, more, you can have more time not focused at your feet and more time scanning the field. And then two, even before that, I think that you should constantly be thinking about where, if I were to receive the ball right now, where is the pressure and where should I go? Should I pass? What, what should I do next? Like, for example, if my center back has the ball and I'm standing at the sideline, even though he's not even facing me right now, he's looking the other way, I'm still like going to look up the field. And I'm going to ask myself if my center back turns real quick and plays me the ball. Should I take my touch forward? Do I have enough space to go forward? Is Do I have anybody in the center that I think would make a checking run that I could just, you know, hit a one-touch pass into? Should I, am I, is it going to be way too tight if the ball comes into me and that winger is going to pressure me and I just need to clear it out one time? I'm thinking ahead so that, like, if my center back does turn real quick and passes me the ball, now I know. It's like, no, I have time. I can take my, take my touch forward. And I already know that before that ball is even there, before everything. So when that ball comes to me, 
I already know. I don't have to trap the ball, look up, and be like, oh, I have time to go forward. I'm already consciously ready for that. And then the third thing is in to improve your speed of play by by forcing yourself to improve your speed of play by playing in uh, tight areas with multiple people and higher level players, I always think. Like, I think the number one thing that improved my speed of play was when I was uh, training with Sacramento Republic and I was used to the collegiate level of that speed of play, which is fast, but then moving to the professional level and playing with Sacramento Republic and those players at the pro level, the speed of a play was much faster. And it was hard for me. I struggled. But what I did is every single you know day before training, I did the rondos with the team. Even if I was the guy who was constantly in the center because I kept on messing up, I was the one there, you know, forcing myself to try to improve. And then in the normal team trainings, I was like, you know, I would try to have myself, I would try to be playing. I would constantly try to, to pick up my speed of play and play faster where, while I was in this environment of a fast speed of play. And over nine months of just being in that environment, my speed of play greatly improved. So it's all three of those things combined, improving your technical skills and individual training, consciously making a mental effort to figure out where you should go next, and three, actually putting it into practice and going out and training with high-level players with a faster speed of play and doing drills that improve your speed of play like rondos and tight space possession drills. Um, that's my advice for sure. Next question uh, from Kale Bennon. Kale asks, what's the best advice a coach ever gave you? Um, <clears throat> for me, I would say, I mean, I've had so many great coaches give me so much advice. Um, but for me, I would say the best advice I ever received came at the very end of my PDL season or USL League 2 season with the San Jose Earthquakes U23 team. And that coach was uh, Dana Taylor. And he pretty much kind of like looked at us after the season and he, this was, I, I remember exactly where, where we were, where I was standing and everything. And he kind of like brought us all in. And this was San Jose Earthquakes U23 team, like right as high of a semi-professional level as you can get before you turn into the pro level. And we had done very well. We were like first or second in the league. And we had a very good group of guys. And he basically said that like every single one of us had the potential to play pro, you know, especially in the next, it maybe some of us could be pro now. Some of us needed another year or two, but all of us right here had the potential to play pro and to not let the next year or circumstances or anybody else tell us otherwise. And it was like, you guys have the ability, listen to your gut. And if this is something that you want to do, go after it and don't let anybody take it from you. It was all about, he had this great speech. He worded it so well, but it was just about not listening to the critics. Um, that this is this time weeds out a lot of players because it's very difficult and you're going to get a lot of no's, but we have the ability, we have the potential. And if we truly want it, we all can become a pro, but we just have to stick with it and go after it. And <clears throat> ironically, uh, majority of that team end up signing pro contracts. I mean, everywhere from OKC Energy to down in Costa Rica to um, over in Sweden to multiple teams in the USL to actually one player who went to the MLS to the Irish Premier League. All, that team had so many players go and play pro. Um, so I kind of took that as like, uh, it kind of like helped me shape my mentality of, of going after this of like, you're going to receive a lot of no's, but you have the potential and just keep fighting for this dream that you have. And, you know, don't let anybody take that dream away from you if you truly want it. And so that was like a speech that really stuck with me, especially during that critical, critical time of that transition from 
semi-pro to pro, which I think is the hardest step to make, the hardest step to make. Um, very amazing, amazing advice. Uh, next is from Tim, Timo, Timoclio, Timoclio. Uh, do you think that you're past your prime or your best years are yet to come? This is a very, very good question. So I'm 27 years old and they say that your athletic peak for, for a male, for a guy, your athletic peak is 26 years old. So technically I'm past my athletic peak. Um, however, they say as a footballer, you know, with your tactical mindset, your experience that your, your football peak, this is just what they say. This is just what I've read is 27 and 28. Those are your, your best years, you know, where it comes like you're athletic, you're very sharp, but yet you have a lot of experience. You're tactically, you know, you can play at a fast speed. And I think that's true. I mean, obviously I haven't experienced 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 yet, but out of my whole career, I feel that like, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm at my athletic peak. Um, I definitely can feel very start starting to feel how I'm not as athletic or, or not as, uh, ability to spring back that I was when I was a little bit younger, but I'm feeling amazing. And I really do feel like as a footballer, I'm at my peak. I'm at the best I've ever been. So I definitely don't think my best years are behind me. I think I'm at my peak right now. And I really, really want to take advantage of this year, next year, because you know, these could be make or break years. So I think that my best years are definitely not behind me. Um, but I, I also don't think that my best, best years are going to be up into my thirties. I know that your body really does start to, uh, to break down a little bit. So I think that 27 and 28 are, I, I agree with it so far and we'll see, hopefully maybe I can play 29, 30, 31 and still feel amazing, but you know, you never know. So try to take advantage of it now, but athletic peak 26 and then the footballing pink peak of 27, 28 so far I've, I've experienced is, is pretty true. Um, <clears throat> Matt DeVito seven asks, why did you drop out of college? Um, this is a good question. And, uh, and something that like, I think is kind of against the, the status quo, uh, like advice that you'll receive honestly in, in the real world. But for me, it, I came to that crucial, crucial time as a, as a, you know, college soccer player. If you guys know college soccer, how it works, you really only play your season in the fall. So you play until about November and after your senior season, you know, you're, you're basically done after November. Um, however, like you, to finish out college, you probably have to go all the way up until June. And so if you go all the way through June, that's another four five, six months, actually even more six, seven months that you have to be in school that you can be training with the team. But if you want to finish your degree, you really have to stay there. And for me, I even had an extra quarter extra semester after that so I would pretty much need to stay in school for a full another year before I could graduate and if you're finishing it right during that time you're finishing your senior season you pretty much are are pretty much done you're out of eligible years you can no longer play any more college soccer so you kind of are at that point of do I stay here do I stay in Davis at UC Davis and maybe just train with my division one team maybe play some USL league two or do I really, really commit and try to go for it? Because in America, the professional season starts in February. So I dropped out in December after I finished that quarter of school with the full focus and full goal of going, I'm going to follow wherever 
soccer takes me to try to follow and chase this dream of playing professional soccer because I know and I saw it firsthand so many players stay in school for an extra year and that you know they're training a little bit but then they start to get sidetracked you know they start going out a little bit more they're not forced to be training they're not forced to be it's all kind of up to them and they start to slowly transition into uh, you know what, I'm only going to train three times a week. So you know what, I'm just going to take this week off. So you know what, I, I'm not, I'm done. I'm done playing D1 soccer. Well, it's, I don't want to do this anymore. And they enter the real world. And I just didn't want that to happen to me. I didn't want to have to look back and be like, you know what, I wish I could have gone for it. So I dropped out and I, you know, started co- contacting agents and scouts and through connections that I had at that time and, and really, really committed to trying to play professional soccer. <clears throat> And obviously it worked out. I mean, I went over to Iceland. I went over to Vancouver Whitecaps too. Ended up training with Sacramento Republic in the USL the entire season, then headed over to Germany. And uh, the rest is, you know, history. That's where I really started playing professional soccer. But I don't know. Maybe if I would have stayed in school, it could have worked out. But I think that I wasn't willing to risk delaying that process a full another year. I wanted to try to go for it at that age at 22 which was already pretty late you know of trying to be a pro soccer player especially in other parts of the world I just didn't want to delay that any longer and I think I made the right decision you know I think that for what I want to do in life that uh it was more important to try to go after it and be a professional soccer player than uh to to finish out school and now I my advice for you guys if you guys are listening to this or watching this is that you have to really listen to your situation. You know, I wouldn't recommend dropping out of school if you don't have any serious contacts or you haven't been performing at the D1 level, or you probably won't be able to uh, play professional soccer. I had opportunities. I listened to my gut. I talked with my family. I talked with my girlfriend, Mimi. I talked, I really thought it over and I, I, I trusted myself that I could make it at the pro level. Um, and it wasn't just like a, you know, oh, I, I'm on my JV team of high school. It's not working out that well. I'm going to drop out and, and try to be a pro. Yeah, I, was, I felt like I was very realistic with it. Okay, next question. Uh, the, the, Corbin Saul, the Corbin Sawyer asks, uh, what is my biggest advice for starting a channel? So starting a YouTube channel. Um, this is kind of against the grain of, uh, of what I usually talk about just with soccer and and working out and stuff like that. Um, but as far as like actually starting a YouTube channel, my advice is to one, just start. Like if so many people overthink and overthink and overthink and they try to plan out their videos and plan out their channel and they make excuses of why they haven't filmed videos and they're like, oh, you know, once I get this camera, once I get these lights, once I get a somebody to help me make my intro, something, whatever. Like my thing was like, as soon as I made the decision of like, I'm going to make a YouTube channel like that same day I went out with my iPhone five and I filmed a video at a field. I think it was like how to, how to knuckle a ball. That was the very first YouTube video, how to a knuckleball tutorial. I went out with Mimi, Mimi filmed me on my iPhone five and we filmed me kicking a knuckleball. And then I went home and I was sleeping on a couch in a kitchen of my friend's apartment, paying a hundred dollars of rent a month. And I edited that video on a free video editor, iMovie. Um, I made an intro from like, an, I went to YouTube and asked myself how to make an intro. I did it all that day is what I'm trying to say. I, I literally just went out, did it. I, I, I didn't overthink it. I just went and did it. I uploaded the video 
and I went on and I'm like, okay, what's my next video going to be? I'm, I think the, so many people overthink it and doubt it and they are trying to plan and make everything perfect. And my advice is, is like screw perfection. You know, I think that perfectionism or being a perfectionist is not necessarily a good thing. I think that you should always strive to make good content. You should strive to be, you know, have quality, put out quality content or whatever. But the biggest mistake you can do is delay and and not just put out videos. I mean, imagine if I really delayed and was like, I'm not going to put out a video until I have this, this setup that I have now, a camera, a Sony, a Canon. And I started today, you know, and I started from zero subscribers today. Like I'd be so much further behind than if I just started five years ago with my iPhone five. Like it's, it's just for me, my mind, it was always just like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And at times that really helps me like with my YouTube, but also sometimes it hurts me because I'm so like, I, I don't think things over that much. I just want to go. I want to do something. I hate waiting. I'm, I'm impatient with that stuff. So my advice is just start, start filming, start creating a video and you'll learn along the way. You know, you can start filming YouTube, whatever videos about whatever and change your mind. You can completely change your whole content. You can change, you can, you can add stuff. You can change your intro. I changed my intro like two or three times. I've, I've changed the intro songs. I've changed my whole editing styles. I've added cameras. I've learned along the way. And I think that's the best way to do it. And I think you also need to be obsessed about it. Like if you really, really want to have a YouTube channel and to grow it, you need to be obsessed about it. Just like how you're obsessed with your training or obsessed with your diet routine or your gym workout. You need to treat a YouTube channel the same way. You need to absolutely be obsessed with it because so many people will pop in, create a video, take three months off, create another video, take a couple weeks off, then they'll forget about it for a while and just not be truly, truly obsessed. I was obsessed with YouTube. I was obsessed with growing Instagram. I was obsessed with soccer. I still am. I still am obsessed about all this, but you need to be completely obsessed and dedicated to this. Like I have been uploading a video at least every week or at least every couple weeks and I haven't really taken a break. I've taken like one or two breaks and those were like for three or four weeks, but I've, I've been dedicated and and putting out content and videos for the last five years. I really haven't taken that much of a break. And even when I have taken a break from posting, I've been filming and creating a YouTube video during those, those times I've taken a break. So I really have never truly taken like longer than a week break from creating some form of video content or whatever over the last five years. And that's why I succeed with these things because I'm completely obsessed and dedicated to doing it. So if you want to create a channel, just start filming and be completely and utterly obsessed about it and it will work out. But you have to do, you cannot go into, unless you just want to do it for fun, you know, then do whatever you want to do. But if you want to make this like a full-time job, you want to have thousands of subscribers, you want to get paid for doing this, you need to be obsessed and you need to just start. And that's all. That's literally those. Those are the only piece of advice that you need. And you will, you can be successful filming whatever type of videos you want. It might take a few years, but it can work out. Um, what are some things you wish you knew going into college? This is a really good question. This is from Sfide Co. Uh, <clears throat> I would say that something that I wish I knew when I was when I went into college was just uh, I would say how technical. Like I, I think everybody's different. Um, and I think some people go into college and they and they don't realize how athletic 
people are. Or they go into college and they don't realize how fit everybody is. For me, it was, I didn't realize how technical everybody, everybody else was. I was always, you know, I was always the most, or one of the most fit guys on the team. I was one of the most athletic guys on the team. Um, but I, I definitely, that first year struggled with the speed of play, with the technical aspect of the game. And I didn't realize, cause I was so used to just being at the high school level that I was like, you know, I, uh, one of the better guys technically. So I thought I could easily play in college with that technical skill level because I was just used to being one of the better guys. But then I get to college and automatically I come in and I'm one of the worst guys on the team in terms of first touch and control of the ball. And I think, you know, as a broader advice for everybody is to not, when you're in high school and to look at your situation, don't compare yourself to other high schoolers. If your goal is to play into college or if you're a collegiate athlete and you want to play pro, don't just be looking at your college teammates or college competition and be comparing yourself to that. If you want to play at the next level, compare yourself to the next level, you know? And I, I see this quote a lot about like, oh, never compare yourself to others only look at yourself and compare yourself to your previous self or compare you to your previous self. And I think it's good. And I think, yeah, you, you can, and I think you should always be comparing yourself and looking at your own improvement. But I think it's wrong to say to never look at your competition and be comparing yourself to your competition because, okay, yeah, if you might've improved five years over five years, you've improved, you know, in the gym a little bit, or you've improved your first touch, that could be good. And if you're only comparing it to yourself, yeah, you've improved a little bit. That's great. You're better than your previous self. But if you're looking at the competition and everybody else is improving more than you or everybody else is way, way better than you, you have to be able to look outside and compare yourself to your competition and, and, to, and to realize that. So I think that in high school, the thing I wish I knew going into college was to compare myself, to really go into college environments, to watch more college soccer games and compare myself, compare my technical ability, compare my athletic ability, compare everything to the next level and try to and figure out what I needed to work on. And I think that's what I wish I would knew going into college. But I think that it's wrong to never compare, compare yourself to others because you can be completely blind and it's going to kind of screw you over. Like if you, if you're not careful about that. And I would also say that, you know, you have to, I, this didn't really blindside me because I, I, I grew up with a family that really put a lot of responsibility on me and they kind of like forced me out of my comfort zone a lot but you're going to go out of your comfort zone a lot in college. Like you're on your own, you're living on your own. You have complete freedom. You can eat whatever you want to eat. You know, you can have ice cream for dessert if you, or ice cream for breakfast if you want. You can just skip any class if you want. The teachers don't care. So I think that um, you just have to be responsible and really realize that nobody is going to babysit you and you can do whatever you want. And that's a good thing. That's a part of growing up. But if you really want to succeed at something like you have to take it seriously, you have to take school seriously. You have to take your workout seriously. You have to take soccer seriously, you know? So I think those are things that I wish I knew I went, went into college. But like I said, like I, I really, I went to all my classes pretty much. I, I had got good grades. So I never was like blindsided, but I saw a lot of my teammates or a lot of other people get distracted a lot with, with that, with that amount of freedom. <clears throat> Uh, Harvey Davies 11 asks, would you come play in the A-League in Australia? I've, and the answer is, yeah, 100%. Like a lot, what a lot of people don't realize about professional soccer is that like for the most part, if it's a decent league anywhere in the world, you would be 
willing to play in it, honestly, for most pros. Most pros that are obviously not like Messi or Ronaldo or whatever, but most pros in the world would 100% be willing to test out or to at least be interested in playing in the A-League, playing in Thailand, playing in America, playing in the CPL of Canada, playing over in Sweden in the first division or second division even, playing in Norway, you know, playing in Spain, playing in, in Israel. People, all these pros that I've met are always so interested at playing in other leagues. But it's not just like, you know, a lot of people think that when you're a pro, you can you get to decide where you want to go. You get to decide where your next contract is. And it rarely, rarely works out that way. Usually what happens is that you have an agent, you have contacts, you have connections, and you kind of put yourself out there and you ask, you know, where you kind of try to find some opportunities. And then, you know, you might be like, okay, look, there could be an opportunity for you over in Sweden. Uh, it looks like I have a friend who's over in Israel right now. And obviously I have some contacts in America. Those are what I have right now. But then all of a sudden Israel doesn't work out. And then your contact in Sweden is like, yeah, you could come over here. So you, it's less of like, oh, let me pick where I want to play and more of like, I'm going to follow these opportunities that pop up. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. So would I play in India? Would I play in Thailand? Would I play in Australia? Would I play in 99% of the professional leagues in the world? Yes, I would play in them probably unless they're a terrible league. Um, but if they're a professional league with decent wages and it's a decent level of play, I would 100% be interested in playing. But it's about, do I have the connection there? Can I get my foot in the door? You know, and and I think that's what a lot of people don't don't realize about being a, a professional soccer player, because unless you're Messi or Ronaldo or Neymar, you can't just tell your agent, look, you know what, AC Milan, I want to play for AC Milan. To agent, go go talk to them, give me a contract there. It's not how it works. Or it's not like you know what, I want to play in India. I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna contact a team in India. Doesn't work that way. I wish it did. Because it'd be very exciting. It'd be a lot easier to find con contacts and contracts. But it's it's more about, oh, guess what? Your agent hits you up and says, Would, I have a, a a trial for you in Finland. And you go, okay, looks like, looks like I'm going to go for this opportunity in Finland. And you're not the one who really decides that. Which is weird. Which is hard to kind of grasp sometimes. <clears throat> this is from Siggy Flim. And he asks, what has been your biggest sacrifice playing football professionally? I would say the biggest sacrifice playing football professionally is just uh, is living a normal life. And as weird as that sounds, I think it's almost like a it's almost like a celebrity wishing that they had a normal life. And you're like, what? Why? You're famous. You're rich. Why would you ever want to live a normal life? And obviously, like, I'm not famous or rich or living life like a celebrity. It's but it's different in the fact of like. Sometimes I, I want to go out to happy hour. Sometimes I think that would be fun. I, I would want to go out to happy hour with like my coworkers one day. Or you know what? It'd be cool to have Saturday and Sundays off and be able to do normal things that couples do or people do on Saturday or Sundays. In reality, you know, like today's Friday night for me <laughs> and I'm sitting in my apartment filming a podcast alone because I have a game tomorrow at like 1 o'clock p.m. So I can't really do anything tonight. And the same with tomorrow night. Okay, yeah, Saturday night, we have a game on Saturday. Um, I'd still, you know, I, I don't want to go out on Saturday or do anything fun or drink or do that stuff because I need to f be focused on my body and my recovery because I need to have a good rest day to let my body heal because I have the very first season opener that following weekend. 
And any day that I'm not focused and taking care of my body is just one less day of recovery and could impact my performance a little bit. And so I think the biggest sacrifice, honestly, is just sometimes I want to live a normal life. You know, sometimes I, I would love to go and to like, for example, weddings, like uh, Mimi's going to a wedding in October of her, like her best friend of college. And I can't go to it because I'm going to be in season and I'll have, a, I'll be over here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And those are just like problems that most people don't have because most people can take the weekends off. Um, and I kind of just wish that, uh, or not wish, but I, I think the biggest sacrifice is just you miss out on a lot of the normal things that people just do. And I feel like you kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's just hard sometimes to do that. But like, I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm obviously I'm choosing to live this life because I love playing professional soccer so much. I can quit at any moment. I could quit today. I could talk to my coaches and be like, look, I'm completely unhappy. I want to terminate my contract and I could quit. I could go home and live a normal life. But I don't want to do that. But I'm just saying that even though this is my dream life, there's still some sacrifices that a lot of people don't see. And I think that the the big sacrifice that at least that I'm missing out on is just normal everyday life, spending time with family and friends and in your hometown, in your comfort zone, uh, going out to happy hour, having the weekends off, you know, it's just something that being able to eat whatever you want, just stuff that people kind of like take for granted that. I, I can't really do because I have to be so hyper-focused about my body and, and, and living, you know, in, in completely different cities and towns or countries um, pursuing this game. So, yeah, I think that's – it's a weird answer to that, but I think that's, for me, what's been weird. If, for example, like I talked about earlier in the podcast as well, uh, the fact that I don't – I've never had a 12-month lease, which for most people is the shortest lease that they'll do of their life. Usually they're getting 12 year lease or 12 month leases, two year leases, or buying a house with a 30 year mortgage. For me, my longest lease ever was last year or this year where there were 10 months. And those are my longest leases of an apartment. And so that just means like, I, I can't furnish the apartment, you know, because I'm constantly moving. I can't have like, uh, settle down and, and really kind of decorate the way I want and, and be comfortable in a, in a comfort zone just random weird stuff like that that you kind of fantasize about like for later in your career or whatever. Um, the next question is from Stephen M Rose and he asks, when was your turning point of really focusing on soccer and giving it your all daily? Um, I've answered this before and I I'd say like, it's always, it's less of like a turning point. Like everybody thinks that I was like an amateur and like not taking it seriously or whatever. And then I had this flip of a switch at age 18 or 16 or 24 or whatever. And it completely switched for me. And I started taking it like a pro. I started, you know, focusing on my diet, focusing on my training, really training, giving it my all of whatever. But it really wasn't like that. Like, honestly, it was more of a gradual ramp up of intensity. Like when I was six years old, it was just for fun. I just went out for fun. I liked doing it. My dad and I played pass sometimes. I did 1v1s, a little bit of training, but it was more of just, I just saw it as an activity, a fun activity to do. And every single year from six to seven to eight to nine to 10, I focused a little bit more on it. I liked winning. You know, I liked training. I'd like to do a little bit more. When I was 13, 14, 15, I started doing a little bit more individual, but still it was just kind of playing. I was playing with my brother, 1v1s. I started doing push-ups and pull-ups. Then going 15, 16, 17, I started going to the gym. The intense, I started taking it a little bit more seriously. I was playing club soccer year round at this point, you know? So it's like, 
I'm focusing on it more. By eighteen, by seventeen, eighteen, I'm starting to realize that wow, I could play in college. You know, like this could be a something I could extend and, and could actually pay for my college education. So I'm starting to take it more and more seriously. I'm, I'm staying after training. I'm doing extra workouts and training sessions on my own. I'm working out four or five times a week in the gym. I'm doing speed training. And then 19, 20, I'm in college now. I'm a full D1 college athlete with Division One workouts and Division One, you know, trainers training me and coaches. I'm playing Division One college soccer. And 21, 22, 23, I'm starting to play semi-professional soccer. And then at 23, 24, I'm fully making the switch now to professional soccer. But every year, it's just a gradual ramp up of intensity, of how serious I take it. But it was never a, uh, any age where I was like, oh, no, this is just a game to, no, I'm taking it like seriously as a pro now. It was just gradual ramp up. Every single year, I took it slightly more seriously, little baby steps of intensity until around 21, 22, where it became my entire life, my priority in life of being a professional soccer player. So gradual ramp up. But good question. Um, let's see. I'll do a few more. Actually, you know what? We only have one more question now. Last question Short from Shore Harada. What's the best advice you could give to someone wanting to make it pro? And like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, I'm very, very against the cliche answers of like, oh, you know, work hard, uh, eat right. <laughs> I like for me, if my advice, if someone's asking me this, and it, it, I mean, this is such a broad question, but I think that my advice would be to really, really have the ability to self-reflect and self-analyze where you're at in your career and what's going on and what's separating you or what's holding you back from reaching the next level. For example, if if you are, like for example, let's look at my, my history or myself. When I was a freshman in college, um, like I've talked about earlier in this podcast, when I was a freshman, athletically, you know, in the gym, um, fitness-wise, cardio-wise, I was one of the top players in my team. Like fitness-wise, athletic-wise, work rate-wise, easily I was one of the top two, three players. But when it came to what was holding me back, what was holding me back from being the best player on my team or what was holding me back from reaching the semi-pro level, it was my technical ability. I really just didn't have the first touch, the control of the ball, the finishing, the passing, the technical skills was holding me back from being one of the top players and moving on to the next level. And I realized that. I realized that very quickly. And I, I was able to self-analyze and self-reflect on that so that I would stay after trainings or I would do extra trainings focused around improving my first touch, passing against a wall, juggling, doing simple, simple drills that I show all the time, improving my technical ability. And then, you know, as I'm growing and getting better and better, when I went up to like, let's say, with Sacramento Republic, what was holding me back at that moment was my speed of play, my ability to play in tight spaces. That is what I felt was holding me back from completely earning a pro contract. And always, at every stage of my career, I was looking at myself and trying to figure out and self-reflect what my strengths were, what my weaknesses were, what's holding me back from reaching the next level. And for example, when I was uh, 14, in high school, I made the JV team and I really was upset because I wanted to make the varsity team my freshman year. And I looked up in the mirror and I said, you know, I talked to my coach or whatever, but I really could realize what was holding me back at 14 years old from making varsity was not my technical ability at that point, not my tactical sense, not my fitness. It was my strength and my size. 
my strength and my size at age 14 was holding me back because I was 100 pounds and five foot two at 14 years old. And I just couldn't compete with the bigger, stronger players. So I focused on that weakness and I went in the gym and I, I worked on my, my strength. I worked out. I ate a ton. I was eating and eating a caloric surplus and I gained the weight and I gained the size over two or three years to be one of the bigger, stronger guys by my junior and, and senior year of high school. So constantly, constantly, constantly self-reflecting and self-analyzing my game and my body and my career to figure out what's holding me back to reach the next level. So for you and for you guys listening and for you guys watching, my advice for you is to do the exact same thing. Constantly be asking yourself and be honest about yourself what's holding you back from reaching that next level, reaching the A team, reaching varsity, reaching that academy team, reaching college, reaching the professional level. What part about you is holding you back? And then going out and working relentlessly about it, obsessing about it to try to make that no longer hold you back, make that weakness your new strength. And I think that is my advice for anybody that wants to play play pro. Constantly, constantly doing that every single year, every single month of your career. If you constantly are doing that, you're constantly working and improving that weakness, you will be a pro. But you have to, it's gonna take many, many years. I've been, I was doing that since 14 and I'm still doing that today. I'm still doing that in my career right now. I'm looking at myself as a 27 year old, you know, second division USL player. And I'm asking myself, what's holding me back from playing in the MLS? And to answer that, if you guys are wondering, personally, you know, athletically, uh, 100%, I can play in the MLS. Fitness-wise, I can play in the MLS. What I feel like is holding, technically and tactically, I feel like I could play in the MLS. What's holding me back is having my res- is having something on my resume, is having five, 10 assists in the USL, is having a standout season, having a winning season, having goals. I'm missing that aspect. I'm missing the performance of that aspect because I just, I don't have it. I mean, I have two assists in the USL. I don't have the performance. What I need... There's 30 games, 30 games played in this season. I need five to 10 assists. I need one to three goals scored. And I need to be one of the top four teams in the league. I need my team to do really well and perform. And if I do that and my team does that and we all do that and succeed together, I really feel like I could have an opportunity to trial at an MLS team. And then it's all about just performing at the trial. But, you know, it, 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 that's what it comes down to. And so I'm asking myself, what's holding me back? And it's all, it's just performing. You know, I really, really do think that I can, my abilities and everything now is there, but it's, it's, it's constantly about asking yourself and self-reflecting, what am I missing? What do I need? Um, but yeah, that's, that's my answer. And so that's the Q and A. I've been doing this for like, what, like an hour now, (laughs) just talking in an empty room with my cat right here. Uh, but that's the Q and A. I hope you guys liked it. I hope you got something from it. Um, a different type of podcast. I, I like mixing it up. I never like doing the same thing constantly. Let me know what you guys think. If you like doing these Q and A's, if you got something out of this Q and A, if it was boring, you like having somebody else here. If you like having two other players here, just let me know. Uh, I'm always very, very curious. Uh, once again, thank you for the sponsor of this podcast, chaossoccergear.com. Um, if you guys want to check them out, they will be in the description, the top link in the description. I can't speak. It will be the top link in the description. If you guys are just listening on Spotify or Apple or podcast or whatever, uh, head to chaossoccergear.com and check them out. So uh, thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast. Anyway, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. This is a long one. Um, 
So I appreciate all you guys. Let me know. Give me some feedback below in the comment section. All right, guys. Peace. Yeah.